Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I think it's maybe my ears. It sounds like a lot of clutter in the air, but maybe it's just these things. Sound, the clutter started when Kevin came into the room. Did anybody notice that? Well, this morning... We're coming to the crescendo. You know what a crescendo is. We're, we're finally coming to what I would say is the top of the mountain. We're finally coming to the place where we can stand at the top of this theological mountain called God's love and look out across all the landscape and see that every aspect of that landscape is the result and the revelation and really the activity of the love of God in our lives, correct? We see that. And so, as we live our lives in valleys and in traveling up the mountain and sometimes in the mountaintop, let's remember this, that you may be in a very deep valley, and we all go through valleys, amen? Remember what Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with us. But remember, even in the valleys, and especially in the valleys, because the Real growth and the vegetation is in the valleys. But when we're in the valley, whatever the thing is happening, let's not lose sight of and recognition of and acknowledgement of there is a love of God that is as operative and real and powerful in the valley as we see it on the mountaintop, amen? Because you know how it is on the mountain, we, oh, thank you, Whew, I finally feel God's love again. Well, I understand that. But God's love is never less active in any time of our life or at, at any other time more active. God's love is always consistent. It is our experience of it and our activity in it that sometimes varies, but the love of God is like that great mountain. When we're in the valley, that mountain has not been moved. It is still there. And so at this point, we've learned that God created us to be remembered. The purpose of the creation, Genesis 126, is that God has created us to be an earthly community, an earthly community, that would image, remember, let us make man in our image after our likeness, Genesis one twenty six. God has created us to be an earthly or the earthly community that would reflect his heavenly community. This is extremely significant for us to know and to understand because it is the reason why we are here and it is the purpose for which God has, is moving us forward to the fruition, to that day 
when all of his people finally shall be gathered before his throne as the full, final, and forever fulfillment of his original purpose in creating us, that we would be forever a community in whom his intra internal, intra-Trinitarian love is manifested. So, if you want to know what God looks like, what God's love looks like, if you want to know what God's relationships look like, if you want to know how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate and what they do and how they honor one another, where do you find that revelation? Right here. Where? Right here. Look at one another in the body of Christ. Because we are the only visible revelation of the nature and character of God that he has created for that purpose. We are the ones in whom the very glory of this love is set and is being manifested. And so this is a, the inter-Trinitarian community of God is a community of three equal, distinct, divine persons who live in a fellowship of relational love. That's extremely important. I'm not going to go into all the details. You know how it is. You want to do this, you want to do that, whatever. It is a community of a relational, I'm sorry, a fellowship of relational love. That's what God is all about in himself, a fellowship of relational love. And when we see that about God, let us not make our theology, or allow our theology rather, to be separate from our function. For theology is the revelation of who God is that is to be translated into the function of that revela revelational truth, that theological truth. It is the function of that theological truth in us, the people of his theology. We are the people who manifest the theology of God. So this morning, we're going to begin, we're going to just look at the Father's love for the Son this morning by turning to Ephesians, and you have a Bible with you. If you do, turn there, even though you have some things in your notes. Turning to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at the Father's love. And I, I did not expect to begin it this way. I think you would have expected that we're going to talk about the Father's love. We talk about in, in, in John 3, Jesus says, the Father loves me, and here's the reason why. And that's the reason, and that's where we start with the Father's love. I think typically that is often what happens, but that's not how I felt being led. I was going that way. That's the way I was going. If you look at some of my early notes, John 3, and I've forgotten the verse right now, that's where I was. And then as I listened to the Lord, and as I began to receive from him, he changed my direction to his direction. Did you hear me? He changed what? My thoughts to be compatible with his thoughts. So Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> In verse 4, this is what we read. I'm only reading part of verse 4. I'm going to leave out a word or two, so don't get excited and upset. I don't have a different Bible than you have. Look at verse 4. The Father, or he, God, the pronoun refers to whom? The Father. Remember, 
in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenlies. Then it starts to talk about the first verses from verse 4 to 6 talk about the Father. So the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. When we begin to talk and consider God's love, the love of the Father for the Son, God's intra-Trinitarian love is about the love that each person of the Trinity has for each other person of the Trinity. That's the love of God. And when we talk about the Father's love, we must begin here. In this verse, we learn that it has always been the Father's will. And we know that, but we have to remember that. It's always been the Father's will to have a people in whom his love for his Son might be imaged. Now, we're going to see God loves us. Amen? Stephen Fortenberry, does God love you? Yes. Ronnie Sloan, does God love you? Farrell, does God love you? Carolyn back there, I think that's Carolyn Asbury. <laughs> Somebody, everybody screened up, I, I don't get it all the time. Does God love you? James, does God love you? Okay, that, we know that. But as believers, we must not make ourselves the primary principal object or reason for God's love. Okay? It's not about us. It's about God in us and through us. And so what we see here is that the Father has always had the purpose of manifesting his love in a people to be imaging in that people his love for his son. And so the manifestation of God's love in his people is the reason for Genesis 1-1. Again, we must make sure we see the Bible for what it is. When we read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Those are the most extraordinary, amazing, breathtaking, comprehensive words in the entire Bible. And how many people just read them through and, and you know, get on to the other thing? I want to know about Noah. I want to know about the flood. I want to know who are these giants around here? What are the Nephilim? Did they, you know, and that one verse, every believer, we need to sit there and ponder it and think about it and ruminate it. Remember, those, all those words about the same kind of thought. We need to let the words of Genesis 1-1 marinate. Is that, you know, you know what that is? When you cook red beans and rice, it tastes good the first night, but if you leave it for two or three nights, what? Soaking up all of its goodness in itself when you have it, you know, the next time, it's better than the first time. Have you ever noticed that about some food? Yeah, it's better. This is the red beans and rice verse of the Bible. Think, what does this verse say 
David, I'm going to try to get past this today, okay? I told David, I'm going to try to go on my notes today. But I, I want to, let us not go too fast with our notes and teaching. Let us sit and smell and feel and experience this God. Think about it. Before creation, this holy God existing in three eternal, equal, divine, distinct persons living in a community distinct in their relational roles the father from the son the son from the spirit and relating to one another in this love so much so that this God is said to be one. Remember Deuteronomy 6, 4. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh is what? Echad, one. This God who needs nothing because he is everything in himself. He is completely and comprehensively and forever sufficient in himself. He is an absolute perfect peace within himself. Each person relating to each other person in complete peace. With great joy, this God. And yet, of all the attributes of God that we've studied, this attribute of God's love I think more than any of the others, but in connection with all the others, is the only reason God can exist. Now think about it. God cannot exist as three divine persons if, he, if they do not exist in a community of love. What would be happening? You'd get the mythologies of the ancient world. Have you ever read some of these mythologies? But because God exists in love, because of three persons love one another, God creates a people in whom his love will be shared and manifested. Because you see, one of the parts or essences of God's love is self-giving, blessing, sharing himself. 
And so you see this in Genesis 1-1, that when we read those ten words, what kind of love is it that the Father wants to display and to give knowing that when he creates he knows everything that will happen he knows everything about the cost he knows everything about what will need to be done to fulfill his eternal purpose and when we look at the world today, we say, man, if I were God, what? What, what would we say? I'll never do that. And when we think that way, and when we see that, and when we let that begin to permeate our souls, we begin to realize how absolutely different from our love is God's love. For it's one thing to deal with issues that exist and that I have to extend myself to you. It's another thing to create you knowing what I'm going to have to do to extend myself to you. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? This is the Father's love. Because it's the Father who initiates, if you would. But it's an assay love, which means what? Self-existing love because God is self-existing. So when we use any words, we strap it down to a situation that isn't absolutely perfect, but that's all we can do because that's what God gives us in this time frame. What kind of love is it? What kind of love is this? And, and before we continue, just, I want you to get this. This love is the very love with which God loves you and me. What does that say? That says that we are absolutely loved, absolutely secure, absolutely blessed. That all of this was decisionally given to us before we were created, and we were created in order to receive this. God did not create us to see if you would do this, Carrie, and if you would say that, Chris, and if you would call on Jesus, and if you would do what? He did it knowing ahead of time and deciding ahead of time, you will be my people. Amen? That's just the first four words of the notes, uh, David. That God would not only share himself with the people, but that this sharing would be made at the most unbelievable cost to God the Father. Genesis 1-1 proclaims 
that God the Father loves the Son so much. And you see, this is disturbing to us. It doesn't quite click with us because our love is so alien and his is so alien. What kind of a love is it? The Father loves the Son so much that he gives the Son authority to create the worlds, correct? Remember, the worlds were created by the Word of God. Knowing that when the Son creates the world, the world will fall, and the Son will then, of necessity, to the upholding of God's loving purpose, that the Son will go to the cross. This is God's love, the Father's love for the Son to do this. How many of us would say that's love? Do you see, do you begin to understand how different God's love is from us? Jason, do you see that? Phyllis, do you, do you see it? God's love is weird. I mean, Beth, we can't figure it out. But thank God we can experience it. And thank God we can have it. Amen? So verse 4 again, let's reread it. The Father chose us how, when, in whom? In his Son. In him. He chose us in him, in his Son. God determined to create us in, through, and by, and because of, etc., the Son. So the, the, the object of the creation, the purpose of creating us, and therefore, by extension, the purpose of recreating us, called regeneration or being saved, the purpose of all this initially before the foundation of the world is in the Son. The object of the love of God is the Son of God's love. Do we see that? We would say, why does, you know, why does God love us? Well, I don't know. God loves us because he loves the Son. And so the whole context of creation, the whole context of our salvation, the whole context of God's purpose, God's plan, the glory of God is about the Father's love for the Son. And as we'll see next week or whenever we get back together on this, the Son's reciprocal love for the Father. <clears throat> now, I, I, I want to emphasize this because I, I really feel the Lord wants to do this, but I know I do, so I'm assuming and hoping it's God's will. I want us to be forever broken that we are the principal reason for the creation and our salvation. Amen? Because if we make it about ourselves principally, we become idolaters because there is nothing in all creation principally that is about anything or anyone other than about God himself. Amen? Do we get this? He is it. He is it. From beginning to end and everything in the middle. So when you want to know, why does God love me? 
because he loves the Son and he desired to manifest it in you. Now, why he chose me and us in whom to manifest that, I don't get it. Lisa, I don't understand it. But I know it's true. You see, this means that the Son is the object of the Father's intention for his people. Can we let that sink in this morning? Can we let that sink in this morning? My salvation, Troy, your salvation. Charles, your salvation. David, the other David, your salvation. River, your salvation, etc., etc., etc. It's about the Son. It's about the manifestation of how much this father loves his son. Do you see that not only does it create in me and in you a breathtaking awesomeness, but it begins to relieve me of the burden and place the burden where it belongs. Isaac, where? on the shoulders of our God. Right? So listen to this verse, Colossians 1.16. For by the Son, all things were created. Remember Genesis 1.1? Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? Uh, and actually John 1.3. By him were all things made, and without him was not anything made that was made. Remember? For by the Son all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Why? All things have been created through the Son and what? For the Son. Why for the Son? So that in this one who becomes a man, we may see the visible truth, reality, and activity and results of the Father's love for his Son that is going to be given to us on the day that we are saved so that in us the very same love with which the Father loved the Son now resides in us who are his people, correct? Romans 5, 5, for the love of God, the love of the Father for the Son, for the love of God has been what? poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We must see this as the essence of what God has and is and will continue to do in us. Verses 4 and 5 together now. In love the Father predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So why? What, what is the motive? What is the motive that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, which verse 4 says? What's the motive? In love. In love. You see, because of his love for the Son, the Father has entrusted to him the eternal purpose. Because of the Father's love for the Son, he has given the Son the joy and the highest privilege of fulfilling his own will. You don't do this for someone you don't love. 
because love involves trust and obedience and et cetera, et cetera, correct? When we say on earth, I love you, Steve, but I don't know whether I can commit to you, this love is so extensive and so comprehensive in its knowledge that the Father knows the Son, the Son knows the Father, and this love is given to the Son to be manifested in his people because the Father knows the Son so thoroughly here. There's no taking a chance here. And I'm going to give you, Steve, the highest privilege of creating and then dying the most horrible death. This means that we are saved by, to be the vessels of this love of the Father for the Son. In Ephesians 1, through 6 through 14, we learn that God has saved us in the Son of his love in order to reveal the glory of this love. And I won't read those verses you have it there. It says, to the grace, glory of his grace, the praise of his glory, and the praise of his glory. That ends verse 6, it ends verse 12, and it ends verse 14. And all of this so that the glory, the majesty of this intra-Trinitarian love may be manifested in a man so that in that man we may be gathered as God's people in whom this same love is deposited, developed, matured, being conformed to the image of the Son. Remember Romans 8.29. So that forever we will be the visible community of this intra-Trinitarian love of the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, all by the love of the power and presence of the Spirit. Once again, this means that Christ is the divine object of our salvation. This is the love that the Apostle John, in 1 John, he's writing about He's writing about fellowship to the church and so on, and all of a sudden in chapter 3, verse 1, he stops. Of course, he's not writing chapter 3. He's just writing. And all of a sudden, having explaining this fellowship with God that we have with one another in fellowshipping with one another, he stops and he says, oh, see what kind of love the Father has poured out upon us that we, we, it's a double thing, that we, we should be called what? The children of the sons of God. And such we are. That verse says this. In us, this relational fellowship of love that exists within God is now existing and poured out in us. Let's look at a few testimonies from Scripture that the Father says about the Son, His love for the Son. 
in Luke 3.22. Remember when Jesus comes to the Jordan and is to be baptized by John the Baptist, and John sees him, he recognizes him. You see that in John chapter 1. I recognize him. The Spirit said, you know, this is the one. Remember he says in John 1.29, Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John knows who this one is by revelation of the Holy Spirit. He's a cousin of Jesus. They're six months apart in age. And he says, I shouldn't baptize you. you. You need to baptize me. Why does Jesus want to be baptized? Why? Because, you see, it is the inaugurating sign or activity. It is the testimony that Jesus is declaring to God's people and to God especially. I have come to be the lamb that will be sacrificed for my people in order that my Father's love for me may be in them and I in them. And so when he is put under the water and coming out of the water, what happens? The heavens open and a voice comes from heaven and says what? You see this in Matthew 3 also and in Luke 3.22. You are my beloved, agapitos, the son of my love. You are the son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. What is the father so pleased about? The father is pleased relationally because this is the incarnate son. This is the eternal son who has taken to himself our humanity, a human body and soul in order to redeem God's people to him so that God may have a people in whom he, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell communally in his people. I'm well pleased with you. He's well pleased because this is the eternal son. But he's also well pleased not only because of the relationship that he and the son have always had, but he's well pleased because as a man, the son has taken to himself our humanity and is here in absolute, comprehensive, perfect, continual obedience to the father. So there's two issues here the relationship and the activity. He's well pleased, Pharaoh, because the son has said, I'm going to the cross. That baptism says, I'm going to live a life of sacrificial love and I'm going to the cross. Sacrificial love meaning, I will not love myself at the expense of my father. Sacrificial love doesn't mean I'm just not going to eat candy for two weeks. Remember in Mark 9, after Jesus and the disciples are in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus says, whom, whom, who, who do men say that I am? And Peter's, remember, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then they go on down the road, and they come to the mountain, and Jesus prepares to go to Jerusalem to die. He takes James, Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain, and there he is transfigured before them. Remember, he has shown the lightning, the whiteness or whatever, the brightness of God's glory in a man. And the voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. So we have the testimony of the father. I love 
him. I love him. Where do, when does that testimony begin? Where do we see the first evidence of the father's love for the son? Where is the first evidence of it in the Bible? Where? Genesis 1.1. That's the first evidence in the, you know, the first evidence. It becomes clear and manifested and more real to us and understandable to us in the incarnation. That's not when it began, however. That's when the light began to shine on the love of God for the son specifically listen to Jesus words do you have these verses in your in your outline the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life do we see Why the Father loves the Son. He loves the Son because He is the Son, and He loves the Son because the Son loves Him in obedience, which we'll see next week. You see, Jesus understood that the primary purpose for His life was not us. Isn't that deflating? Jesus came to save me. Yes, He did, Rosa, but not the primary purpose. He came to demonstrate the love of God, which resulted in my salvation. You see, if we're the object, then it's about us. We're the indirect object. You remember English? Subject, verb, object, and indirect object. You remember that? Now, don't go out of here and say, Peter said God doesn't love us. Don't do that. You see, this revelation comes to its cosmic goal in the exaltation of the humanity of the Son of God. It is in the exaltation, and I gave you two verses here, Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, and then Philippians. This is the pinnacle, the exaltation. On the day of resurrection, Jesus is back from the dead by the love of the Father. And then the Father brings him back to heaven. He ascends. And so in Philippians 2, 8, we see what? Jesus humbled himself, became obedient even to death. What? Even death on the cross. And so we begin in verse 9. Wherefore also God, the Father, has exalted him and has given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus remember Jesus is the name of God's the father's love for his son in us that at the name of Jesus every what knee shall bow and things in heavens earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to The glory of God. To the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father's love for the Son. That's what you see. The gospel, you see, is about the glory of God in his people. That's what the gospel is. The glory of God in his people. 
the glory. What specifically about the glory of God? The glory of this intra-Trinitarian love, and specifically this, the glory of this love between this eternal Father and His eternal Son, accomplished by the eternal Spirit. Amen? So we're here as those who manifest a love. It is God's love in us, the manifestation of the Father's love for the Son, and reciprocally, as we'll talk next week, the Son's love for the Father, as brought about by the love of the Holy Spirit. Because I won't go into this in any detail, but just for a moment, think. How much love does the Holy Spirit have to have for the Father and the Son to dwell in each of us? Come on. Think about it. You know who you are? How many of you know who you really are? All your little dark secrets and your things. And yet, the Holy Spirit lives in us. What kind of love is that? So next week, let's continue with our discussion of God as love.